Christians and work. We've had countless conversations about that topic through the years, and we've talked about women and work throughout that time. But usually when we talk about women and work, the conversation is limited to, should a mother work outside the home? Today, a more holistic approach to women and work. Our guest has struggled with the question of, should I work outside the home? And she's also asked this question, is it wrong for me to pursue my career ambitions? If I step back for a season and do raise children, what will happen? Will I be able to re-enter the workforce? And more bedrock, how do I glorify God with my work? How do I balance my life and the work that he's called me to? How do I deal with a bad boss and respectfully stand up for myself? Should I pursue higher education if I know that I'm going to get married and hope to have children? Chelsea Sobolik has been thinking about that, this topic for a long time, and she couldn't find a whole lot on the bookshelf about this, so she decided to put her thinking and research and her conclusions in a book that I was excited to see as soon as I saw the title, Call to Cultivate, A Gospel Vision for Women and Work. It's our featured resource at chrisfabrylive.org. We're going to talk with her straight ahead at the Radio Backyard Fence. On Facebook, our question is, if you're a woman, what's your biggest struggle regarding work? You can answer there. You can call us. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're doing well today. Thanks to our team working behind the scenes. Ryan McConaughey doing all things technical. Trisha is in the chair. She's our producer. Lynn will be answering your calls. So there are two women at work on this program. The other people I need to thank are too many to name. They are our back fence friends and partners who have provided the funds to help us do what we have done all year long. And we are hoping for a memorable December of giving. We're off to a great start in the first uh, few days. I see Gene in East Peoria got involved for the very first time yesterday. Thank you, Gene. And there's Brenda and Linda and Regine and Susan and Sarah. This is beginning to sound like romper room. <laughs> I told you there were too many to name, but those are six who have responded in December. Would you call or click through? Maybe today. won't take long and it'll mean a great deal, especially if you've never given or maybe it's been a while. Call 866-95-FABRY. Or go to chrisfabrylive.org. And if you can't spell it, F-A-B. It's easier than Sobolik, I'll tell you that. F-A-B-R-Y, chrisfabrylive.org. You'll see how you can be a friend or a partner. And right now, our thank you is my new novel, Saving Grayson, a story from my heart to yours. 866-953-2279. Or go to chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks for your generosity in December. We talked with Chelsea Patterson Sobolik five years ago when she came out with her book, Longing for Motherhood, Holding on to Hope in the Midst of Childlessness. That's where I learned how to say her name correctly. She lives in Northern Virginia. She works in Washington, D.C. as Director of Government Relations for a nonprofit. She was adopted as a newborn from Bucharest, Romania, grew up in North Carolina, holds a B.A. in International Relations from Liberty University. She and her husband, Michael, got home from India a few weeks ago. They came home with their son, Dev, and uh, they obviously, uh, through international adoption, have him. Her latest is something I'm guessing she's been working on most of her adult life called To Cultivate, 
a gospel vision for women in work. Chelsea, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Was that a dream come true to to open the front door and have Dev come along with you? Oh my goodness, yes. One I've had for years and years and years, and it still feels so surreal and special. Um, I mean, most days I can't believe this is this is life, and he's just the best little boy I think I've ever met. <laughs> and so you're on. You're taking time out of your day on maternity leave to talk with us here today. So thank you for doing that. Well, again, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to get to discuss uh, my latest book. So you had been looking for something like this. What I said about, you know, every time we talked about women in work, it was always relegated to should, you know, should you work outside the home? You couldn't find anything that was kind of the holistic approach to what's a biblical view of women in work. So you decided to write it. Tell me about that. I did. So I, I weave this throughout the book, but this kind of stems from yeah, a story I have. I was working on Capitol Hill for a number of years, really in my dream job. I was getting to work on issues I love for a boss who at the time I had a lot of respect for. And to make a long story very short, he resigned in the middle of the Me Too movement. And when a member of Congress leaves Congress, the staff lose their job. So I, um, I actually was a couple months into marriage, longing for motherhood, had just released. And here I was losing my job because of something I hadn't done. Um, and so I w- that's kind of what I started thinking. Okay, I want to navigate my work well as a woman in the professional world. But also I was walking through something very unique to women in the workplace, gender discrimination. So I went to Barnes & Noble at the bookstores, didn't really find anything. I will say there's a lot of great resources today. There weren't, weren't that many, uh, you know, seven years ago, six, seven years ago at this point. Um, so what I did was I bought every book on Christian work calling vocation that I could find and just read a lot of books. So this book is is what I wish I'd seen on the shelves several years ago when I was thinking through what does it mean to be a Christian in the workplace, but then what does it uniquely mean to be a Christian woman who is working? Yes. So answer that question, <laughs> and I know you'll have to be short, but um, what if if I read the books about just, you know, work and why it matters to God, you go back to the garden, you go, you know, God says it's mm-hmm. good and you're going to till— um, what is different about women and work? So there's there's two things I'll I'll say um, from the very beginning of time, from the very first pages of scripture, women have always played a vital role in the flourishing of the church, their communities, and the kingdom of God through their work. And if you read Genesis closely, the creation mandate was actually given to both men and women. Um, the calling uh, to uh, you know, be fruitful, multiply, um, but also to cultivate the earth. That was given to both men and women. And I think we can kind of skip over that, that it was given to both men and women. And so women have this call and this charge to cultivate the earth and to to. Uh, like all of us, love God, love neighbor through our work. And um, so I, I think the the vital role that women have played throughout history and continue to play um, can be downplayed. 
Um, and I think it's important to elevate that women have always had an incredibly important um, role to play, again, in those three spheres, their church, their communities, and the kingdom of God. Um, and our, our work matters deeply today and for eternity. I like that. And I, I'm glad that you went back to Genesis and went through there because that's what I see. Of course, now Eve didn't get to name the animals, which I think it was the most fun thing that had to have happened. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, Maybe Adam left a couple for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is, this, I, and I'm interested in what a gospel vision for women and work means. We'll talk about that and we'll open the phone lines too. That's the question on on Facebook is the one that I want you to ask and answer at uh, answer at eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. If you're a woman, what's your biggest struggle regarding work? Eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. We're hearing about a gospel vision for women in work today. Call to Cultivate is a book written by Chelsea Sobolik. You can find out more at chrisfabrylive.org. It's really not hard to spell her last name, S-O-B-O-L-I-K. There you go. You got it. Now, I mentioned before the break a gospel vision. What is a gospel vision? Why would you add that to the subtitle? I mean, I think it's absolutely vital for Christians to tie what we're spending our days on to the greater story of redemption. So, like you said, work, you know, we see in Genesis, work predates the fall. Work is originally a good, work is one of the ways that we we image God. And I'll say this, I do talk, you know, predominantly to women who are working in some type of paid work, but I also do include women who don't work for a paycheck. The reality is each, the majority of us spend um, the majority of our waking hours working, whether that's a barista at a coffee shop, caring for little people in the home, volunteering at church, caring for aging parents, CEO, you know, whatever our, our work is, the majority of us do work. And so I think it, we, it is vital for us to understand that what we do with our hours matters. So um, you know, we know work predates the fall. It's originally a good. Obviously, we have read Genesis 3 that the fall mars everything. And I will be the first to raise my hand and say, I have experienced the results of the fall in my work. But the good news of the story of scripture is that that is not the end of the story. Of course, we know that Jesus secured, um, you know, our forgiveness and redemption and eternity with um, his death burial and resurrection. But the good news of the gospel also means that he is redeeming all things to himself, including our work. Um, and that that includes women and our work. Um, so I, I love that. And the gospel reorients how we view our work, how we view success, how we view how and why we work, all of these things. Um and, you know, the call of a Christian is the call to faithfulness, to faithfully follow Christ. And that has huge implications for our work. But I really, really do believe that um, because God tells us in Scripture over and over, God is going to redeem and restore all things. Um, and, and our work is one of the, the microcosm ways that we do that here on earth, that 
We are taking soup to a neighbor and loving them through that. We are, um, through our work, caring for others and, and helping in very small ways um, to practice for eternity. And I really do believe that we're going to work in eternity. So what we're doing today is practicing in some way for how we're going to spend the rest of our days in heaven. I want you to deal with then that idea of it, identity. And maybe maybe it's only men who struggle with this, but uh, my guess is, is women do as well, that when you find something that's in your sweet spot or something you feel called to do and something that gives, that makes you feel real satisfaction that I was able to make this thing or do this thing or serve these people and then uh, make livelihood from that so that I could, you know, pay the bills often your identity then is mixed up with what I've done, what I do, and I, I become that which I do. So is there a difference as you've studied it and looked at it between the way men and women struggle with that issue? I mean, I can speak to myself. I definitely feel that too, where it can be so easy to get caught up in, you know, my worth equals how many emails I sent today or, you know, how much I got done. I mean, I, I feel that all the time. Um, and I think, again, going back to the gospel, one of the beauties of the gospel, and this is why I think at least I need reminders of this all the time, because, you know, I get up and spend time in scripture at 6 a.m. And by 9 a.m., I'm, you know, not acting in accordance with what I've read. So I need ways tactically to remind myself of the gospel all the time. But the gospel, the good news of the gospel is we don't have to ultimately hustle for approval or significance because we already have all we need for life and godliness. And the gospel frees us up from solely pursuing success. Um, I, I think we ought to pursue success and we can talk more about that later, but um, the gospel calls us to live a life of holiness and faithfulness. And the gospel tells us we can rest in him instead of always feeling like, like we have to strive for the next thing. So um, and ultimately, the gospel tells us um, that our worth doesn't come from our work, because when we understand the gospel and let it sink in every part of um, our lives, there is no amount of work that we can do to earn our salvation. And so I think just on a really, really practical level, um, I personally need reminders of this all all throughout my day, all throughout the week, just to remind myself that you know, what I do matters. I really do believe that. I think it matters deeply, but it's not ultimate. You know, life is more about, more about, there's more to life than work. Work is a big, important part of that, but it's never meant to be ultimate. Yes. But you just mentioned what I've learned in doing this program over the years is we can come back to that means I never come back to it because I I move on. So I want to go down to what success is. Because some people will say, for a Christian, success is just obedience or success is faithfulness, which I don't disagree with. But I wonder for women at work, what how you would term success. And I, you know, I'm not giving you an example of you know the barista versus the president mm-hmm. of the company versus the line worker versus a, a talk show host. You know, so what to you? What does success look like for a woman at work? So I love this quote from um, the author and writer Dorothy Sayers, 
she says only Christian work is good work well done. And I think that really encapsulates it. Um, I think it was Martin Luther. I don't have the exact quote in front of me um, that basically says we don't need you know, more shoemakers making shoes with tiny crosses on them. We need excellent shoemakers and we need people who are doing really, really good work wherever God has called them. And I think scripture is not silent on how we should work. Um, I live and work in the Washington, D.C. area. And so this example is very familiar, but it's one scripture uses the concept of ambassadorship where Everything, you know, we send ambassadors to France and Spain and all these different places to represent the interests of the United States. But everything Christians do in some tiny way is telling the world about who King Jesus is. Um, and so, I mean, in Colossians, kind of that, that famous verse, whatever you do, work heartily is for the Lord, not for men. Um, excellence says something not only about God's character, but it also increases our value um, and potential in the workplace. So it's kind of a win-win. And to use an example in my own professional life, um, I am, I've worked in public policy my whole career, and I want to be a really good, I want to be good at my job because public policy impacts the lives of thousands and thousands of people. And I want to make the best public policy that I can. And um, again, wherever God has called each one of us, I think, I think it's a stewardship. We, we don't want to waste what God has given us, but we also, I think, can and should think very deeply and creatively about how can I, how can I give my very, very best at what God's called me to. And, you know, right now that season for me for the next month or so is maternity leave at home with my little son and I'm going to give everything I have to that. And so I think excellence again, um, I mean, I think it's something everyone should strive for, but as Christians, um, how we choose to behave in the workplace does say something about, about God. Yes. Cause it's a reflection on him. Yes. Um, so there are a lot of different questions I have, and and one of them is then you mentioned seasons. I think the the conversations that we used to have about women and work were relegated to you know if you've got a family you need to make the family the priority and you can't go outside and you know, there was all of this you know kind of uh, thinking that it's it's got to be it's got to be this way because. A uh, child deserves a mom and a dad in the home, and the mom gives the—you you know what I'm saying. But what's happened mm-hmm. since in the last few years, there have been these loosened restrictions by companies. Because it used to be, you're going to work here, you're going to get dressed up, and you're going to take the train or drive in, and you're going to be here for eight and a half, nine hours— and then you're going to go home. And so you've got to do childcare and et cetera, et cetera, for, for women if the man, if the dad doesn't stay at home with the kids. But now, since the time of COVID, the, a lot of people have, a lot of companies have seen, if I've got a really good person who's at you know, work, I, it doesn't matter where she is. She can be right down the road and and in her apartment or in her home and do the same kind of good work for us. She doesn't have to be in the the office for a lot of jobs. For some jobs, you couldn't do that. But do you see that as something that has kind of opened the doors for a lot of women that were kind of closed before? 
Absolutely. And I, I, I personally love this shift. And I'll say on the onset, of course, like you, like you acknowledge, not every woman has access to that type of job. I think it's really interesting, those conversations of should a woman work outside the home are actually relatively new situated in history because for I mean for hundreds and hundreds of years families worked together you know they would run a bakery or work in the fields together. your work looks so different and it's really within the past 200 years with the industrial revolution which pun intended revolutionized work that we had kind of these siloed ways to work instead of families working together and so it actually is a pretty new conversation in this, you know, the grand scale of history. But I love that, like you said, COVID actually has shifted that. And a lot of companies are realizing, hey, this woman's really good at what she does. And we don't care if she gets up early at 5 a.m. and gets her work done, you know, and kind of moves pieces around. And, um, you know, I love that. And I think I talk a lot about seasons of life in the book. Um, And this actually looks very, very different for women and men in the workplace after children because it's expected that men will go back to work. And um, for women, you know, a, the kind of the, one of the first questions if a woman works before having children outside the home, the question is, what are you going to do? And so it's not expected, you know, there's a lot of different ways that women make it work. And there's different seasons, you know, some women choose to stay home um, with children for a couple of years while they're little. Some women don't have that ability and they need to go back to work. And there's there's so many different ways um, that it can play out. And I think there's there has to be two things here as we're as women are navigating that is number one, um, what is my season of life? Um, I talk in the book too that um, the Great Commission is a person's highest calling. Um, I talk about this in Longing for Motherhood too that wife and mother, while they are good, godly, God-ordained roles, God doesn't call every woman into them. And so, um, you know, as Christians in the church highlighting what is a person's greatest calling, which is to love God and love neighbor. Um, but women, as we're thinking through what do, what is my current season and how can I steward that season with wisdom? Um, I think that will be really helpful because the reality is, I can't tell anyone what to do um, because each person's circumstance is so different and they'll have to seek God's wisdom on that. And one of the promises of scripture is if we seek God for wisdom, he'll give it to us. And so that was a long answer to a short question, but um, there's a lot to, to be said there. Yes. Well, it wasn't that short of a question to be honest, <laughs> but it was, it's a really good answer. And it brings up a lot of other questions that, uh, that make me wonder about women in work today. So much of what uh, has been has gone on in the past has been about how much can you make in order to offset of uh, the 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 childcare if that's what you need or how to juggle are you going to juggle your relationship you know he's he watches the kids while you go to work and then you do the same and so you're just ships passing in the night that's a real struggle a life issue but i wonder if one of the main things that you're you're pointing to is that work is not just the paycheck for the woman work is not just so i can meet the needs that we have, as important as that is, what you're talking about is work that is satisfying and important 
And the woman who's listening right now who says, I feel like I, I have a good job and I do a good job, but it doesn't really matter. It, I don't, I don't, I'm not mm. making any headway on this thing of having work as, as, as part of who I really am. It's just I'm, I'm there for the paycheck. What do you say about that? I think there's three, three things, and I'll make this briefer. Number one, I know exactly how that feels. Um, I had a job after I, my boss resigned. I cried going into this job for weeks because I felt like my work didn't matter. I had some difficult coworkers. I just I did not love this job, and so I totally understand. You know, I'm working. You know, right now at this point because it feels like I just need the money, but. But this was the season I actually was digging deep into work and knowing there had to be more to work than, you know, paying my mortgage on time. There had to be more. And the two things I love that scripture talks about with work for men and women, um, work is one of the ways that we worship God. Um, so the Hebrew word, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, um, of Voda, I believe I'm pronouncing who knows if I'm pronouncing it correctly? It's A V O D A. If anyone wants to look it up, but um, this word simultaneously means work, worship, and service. Um, and the first time this word is used is in Genesis two fifteen, um, telling us that God's original design and desire is for our work to be worship. Um, okay, let me stop also- you right there, Chelsea. Let me stop you there because we'll come back to that right where you left off and talk more about cult cultivate, Chelsea Sobolik. You can find it at the website chrisfavorylive.org, chrisfavorylive.org. More straight ahead. Okay, we have the pronunciation now. Avodah. That's what, uh, that's what I'm told. Avodah. A-V-O-D-A-H. In Hebrew is Avodah. We're talking with Chelsea Sobolik. You'll find out why that's important. She's written a book called Called to Cultivate, A Gospel Vision for Women and Work. There's somebody listening right now who's looking at the radio and you're saying, you're talking about the things that I'm thinking about. Uh, And if you want to join in the conversation, you can. Go to the Facebook page, answer the question there. If you're a woman, what's the biggest struggle you have right now at work? I want to give you one question from one woman here in a minute, but let's go back to what we were talking about, what work meant in the scripture. You said that it's service, labor, labor, service, and what else? Uh, work, worship, and service. Um, so that's, that's one of the ways that, that we view our work as more than just a paycheck. And in the second way, and I, this one really lights my heart on fire, um, is work is one of the primary ways through which we love our neighbor. Um, Martin Luther once said that God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Um, and I think, you know, there's some some work, it's really easy to see my work equals my neighbor being loved. But then there's there's other work that you might be thinking, how on earth does this work matter? How does this help my help love my neighbor? Um, and I think one of the ways to reframe that is thinking, how does my work help my neighbor to flourish? Um, so for example, I wrote my book on a laptop and think of in a coffee shop, think of all the different parts that had to come together for a cup of coffee to be made. 
um, or for that laptop to work or for all these different parts of society to function. So even if you are, you know, stocking shelves at Walmart at midnight um, as a part-time job or, or whatever your work does that you think, I don't, I don't see how this, this work matters or how this work helps my neighbor to flourish. Take a couple steps back and say, if I wasn't doing this work, how would the world look different? Um, and I, I do think, you know, even if it's a couple steps removed where uh, you might not immediately see that, if you really give your work um, some thought, I think you'll make the connection. And of course, with the caveat that there is some work that is sinful, but most of our work, most of what we spend our days doing um, is helping our neighbor flourish in, in some small way. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that Joseph was a carpenter and that Jesus learned, we assume, Jesus learned that trade from him that we, you know, uh, carpenters are, you know, they're not CEOs and executives and ties. They're they're men who work with their hands, who do wonderful things. And aren't you glad that, but you could, you could say, ah, I'm just a carpenter. No, no, no. <laughs> you, you, you are doing what God has called you to do with excellence. And think every time you sit in that chair, when they sat in the chair, or maybe if, if uh, Jesus made a crib for a baby, every time they put mm. the baby down, think about the difference that he made just, you know, take away the salvation of our souls and just think of that, what he did by being faithful and by being a success as a carpenter. That's worthy, worthwhile, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let me give you the question that, or the answer that was given on uh, on our Facebook page by one person who said in answer to the question, what's your biggest struggle? Being treated equally and fairly by the owners of the company and without judgment from coworkers and customers, especially in a Christian business, where all the above, the judging came directly and openly from self-professed Christians. So there's a lot in between those lines right there, but I think you get the pain that that person is expressing. What would you say to her? Mm, there's, there's several things. First of all, I'm so sorry. Um, I think any time, whether it's done by Christians or non-Christians, that um, there's gender or racial discrimination or, or maybe discrimination in this certain case is, it might be too strong of a word. Um, just being treated differently because you're a woman. Um, that's wrong because God created men and women with equal dignity, worth, and value. And that means that when we act with, interact with especially brothers and sisters of Christ, um, when we interact with brothers and sisters, we should treat each and every person with the, the, the value that God has imparted to them. So, I would say I'm so sorry that that's been your experience and that we ought to treat everyone um, well. And, and you know, I don't know this person's particular circumstance, but I can speak to something that was really helpful for me as I was walking through. Um, again, mine's a little bit more splashy, but I've also experienced, you know, similar things in, in different workplaces where, I would be excluded from a conversation because I was the only woman in the room or just different things like that. Um, That looking to how 
Christ treated women. Um, even when we see, um, you know, women being mistreated um, in Christ's time, you know, women were objects. They weren't even, you know, treated as human in, in some cases. Looking to see how, how Christ treated women um, changed everything for me because I saw Christ, um, women were an afterthought to, to Christ. We were, women were central in not only his ministry, but the resurrection story. And so I would say, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, we do sin and we hurt each other. Um, and at the same time, we can look to Christ who treated everyone perfectly well and treated women the way they ought to be treated. Um, you know, he looked them in the eyes, he talked to them. And again, this was revolutionary revolutionary for the time, but women were an afterthought to him. They were a central part of his life and ministry. And so um, in those times when, you know, it, it may or may not be appropriate to have conversations with an HR department in that situation, or, you know, there's, there's particulars for that situation, but um, as women in all sorts of different scenarios are maybe have walked through circumstances that they haven't been treated as they ought to. Um, I would remind us that um, our savior um, knows what it was like to be mistreated, but also um, walks alongside us um, and always treats women the way that they should be treated. One of the things I love about that is the, you know, if you, if you went purely from a human perspective about the biblical record, you would not want women to be first on the scene in that culture. You would not want the testimony of women in Scripture because men discounted that. You know, it was it was it was like you say an afterthought. But this is the way. This is another thing that to me confirms the the veracity of the Scripture is that these these things happened to these people <laughs> in space and time. Mm-hmm. And they weren't, they were just telling the truth. They weren't concerned about how it was looked on by the rest of that culture. Um, but one other question before we take a break, two of respondents right in a row. One says, I'm a, as a single woman, I'm the sole provider for myself. And I wonder if I'll ever have the luxury of retiring comfortably, uh, such as life. I have to work to finance it. Um, I'm tired. I have chronic health issues that make some things mm-hmm. difficult. So there's, you know, there's some fear about retirement. The very next person says, I'm a sole provider. My children are grown. That's no longer a concern, but I'm wondering if and when I can afford to retire or at least go part time. That's my major concern. What do you say to those two women? Oh my goodness. First of all, I'm not a financial advisor. No, I mean, these things are tough, especially for women or single women who, um, and I got married in my late 20s. So I, you know, I'm married now, but spent a lot of my 20s unmarried. Um, I mean, it's, I think there's a couple of things I would say. I would say, number one, um, if you're in a career field where you could transition to maybe a higher paid job, I would consider that. Um, You might not be, you might not have that ability, but um, one of the things I think I know I've experienced and I talk with so many other women about this is we're often not paid what we're worth or we're often not paid what our male counterparts are. And so I would, you know, recommend, again, I don't know particulars of the situation, but I would recommend you might not be making what you're worth and maybe a job transition. And 
I mean, that's easy for me to you know sit here and, and recommend, but job transitions up in lives. Um, so I, I would see, you know, maybe what comparable people in your career field are making and if a, a transition could help bump up income. Um, and then also I would talk to other single women um, in your area. You know, I live in Washington, D.C. So that my lifestyle and the cost of living here is, is different than maybe living in um, Ohio or so, somewhere else. So, um, you know, circumstances really do matter, but maybe get creative about, um, you know, maybe I'm going to for two or three years live with a roommate to help cut down on costs or just there's different ways to kind of tweak some things around. But I mean, I think one of the, the biggest things I'd say is I have had so many conversations with other women that we are not paid what we're worth or what male counterparts are. So I would really think through if you're able, and again, this, there's so many particulars I don't know, but yes. if you're able to, to maybe make a transition or even ask for a raise or have those conversations at work of, Hey, I need to be able to be making this dollar amount or I need to, to transition onto something else. Um, they're uncomfortable. Money conversations can be uncomfortable, but they're, they're worth having. And that is, you know, in the, the research and some of the things that have come out in the last few years, talking about women and agreeability and not asking for more and not, you know, not standing up for themselves. That's part of what you've written about. That might come into play there as well, instead of just kind of settling to say, I, I really am at a situation here where to the person, you know, that you're, uh, who is your boss, or it could be that you own your own company and you're doing this on your own. And so you're, you're the one paying yourself. Um, Call to Cultivate, a gospel vision for women and work is our featured resource. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, click through today's information. You'll see more about Chelsea Sobolik there and her Call to Cultivate book. And there's more coming straight ahead on Moody Radio. I asked our guest today, Chelsea Sobolik, if she's ever heard of CareNet. Sometimes I'll say CareNet to guests and they'll say, oh, absolutely. And then others will say, no, I've never told me about it. But Chelsea, uh, one of the things that she used to do is work with Lifeline. As a matter of fact, her you went through Lifeline for your adoption of Dev from India. Is that right? We did. We did. So I worked for Lifeline uh, Children's Services, which is an adoption agency down in Birmingham, Alabama, but they, they really do so much more than adoption. They wrap around um, women, children, and families holistically. So love Lifeline, love what they do. We adopted through Lifeline, so I'm a, a big fan of what they do. But you mentioned Karenet, which I um, love what they do too. Um, and for listeners who might not be aware, they're a Christian uh, network of pregnancy resource centers throughout the country um, that really seek to again, holistically wrap around women and children in their local communities. So I, I love their mission, uh, worked alongside them uh, when I was at Lifeline. And if you, we've got a green button at chrisfabrylive.org. If you click that green button, you'll be taken to Lifeline. They've got so many, I mentioned uh, Pam Tebow's story was featured on there uh, this week as well as some other stories of real quote-unquote success stories of women in a really difficult situation who were told you ought, to, you ought to go the route of abortion and decided against that. 
they've also helped the church come alongside those women and the men who are walking through these hard decisions too, to help them to, to really make life disciples. So if you're in a church and you don't have a pro-life uh, wing of the church or ministry, check out CareNet. Click CareNet at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. Chelsea Sobelik, again, called to cultivate a gospel vision for women in work. A couple of other uh, comments from listeners. I'm struggling with wanting to be home with my baby because he'll only be little once. I don't want to miss it. I'll be going back to work after maternity leave soon, and it's absolutely breaking my heart, especially because I don't feel fulfilled in my work. What would you say to that situation? Well, I obviously don't know if if this lady has to go back to work financially. Um, That's an important piece. If she does, um, you know, maybe, again, I don't want my recommendations to be find another job, but maybe um, there is work that she can find to, you know, supplement um, to do at home, or um, maybe she can, you know, tweak some things around and, um, you know, work part time in the mornings and and be home in the the afternoons. Um, But I would say in this economy right now, there are so many different ways to either couple together a couple part-time jobs to supplement income um, or find a lot. There's a lot of remote work. Um, I mean, remote executive assistants, or um, I know you can make this random, but a ton of money transcribing things. And and there's just so many different um, things. I would, I would start looking and maybe crowdsourcing um, different ways that people have um, been able to make money staying at home or maybe you stay at home and after your, your kiddos in bed in the evening, you drive Uber or uh, Instacart or something like that. Um, and I mean, this, this might be a little bit harder to say. I think some of us could look at our lifestyles and maybe um, we equal wants and needs um, and just live on a little bit less for a season so that you could maybe even go part time and I mean, I grocery shop at Aldi all the time to cut down on groceries and there's just different things that we can do. So um, I would be, you know, I would start thinking outside the box and think, you know, could we live on a little bit less for this season so you can be home, you know, more um, and just, you know, make some cuts and maybe do something, um, you know, during nap time or things like that. So I would, again, I don't want my default to just be look for another job, but um, there's so many different ways that we can make something work nowadays. So that would be my encouragement. Well, and the ability then to talk with an employer and express this, especially if you don't feel satisfaction in, in what you do. Many employers, when they find a, a great employee, they will do anything they can to, for the yes. turnover not to happen, you know. And so if you if you have that conversation, and that be, might be a hard thing, too, because if they know that you might be on your way out, you know, so you have to be careful with this. But for the employer to say, look, you know, you are, uh, Jane, you are the our best employee here. We do not want to, what do we need to do in order to keep you in this position? Do you need to go part? And, and so that conversation can lead to a, a deeper uh, a valuing of you than just going along with the way things are, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I would encourage someone to have that conversation because you never know what could come from it. And 
um, you know, companies might be able to be more flexible or give you a rate. I mean, there's just so many things that um, companies can do. And if the answer is, you know, no, we don't care, then that that's kind of given you your answer too. Of, right. of this might not be the best place for me long term. So here in the last minute or so, what would you say in just summing up? What what do you hope? women walk away from this conversation and women who read the book, what do you hope they walk away with? You know, I think that the one thing I would say, and I have been almost preaching this to myself, um, is I think so many of us um, might feel like our work doesn't matter or our, our work's not making a difference. You know, our moments in our days feel achingly ordinary if we're honest we commute we write emails we make dinner we clean the house and we do it all over again and it feels very very ordinary um and the thing i would say is there are women throughout history have who have made dramatic impacts on society and the world and their families on their churches um and we will never ever know their name because they lived um like First Thessalonians says, they live quietly and they work with their hands and they weren't striving to be flashy or on the front page of the news or all of this. So the Lord sees and the Lord knows and our work does matter. Yes, it does. And you've said it very well, uh, Chelsea. I thank you for bringing us Avodah. And I just thank you, Eva. <laughs> she said, yeah, you got it right. Uh, to, to bring us that biblical view so that we can see that and uh, I think it was really encouraging to the women who are listening today and men too, because that's the other thing. This applies to us as well, not in the same way that you're talking about, but it applies to men as well. So thanks for writing the book and for spending the time with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Give Dev a big hug for us and Michael too. And uh, come on we back will. and see <laughs> again. Call to Cultivate, a gospel vision for women and work is our featured resource at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. Click through today's information. You'll see it right there. And then come on back tomorrow because I had a conversation a little earlier today. You're going to hear it tomorrow with a man named Ryan Whitaker-Smith. He is the son of a man named Michael W., <laughs> But Ryan is a filmmaker, and he fell in love in the when he was in high school with G.K. Chesterton. And he's written a book called Winter Fire Christmas with G.K. Chesterton. We're going to talk about it right here on the program tomorrow. It's called Chris Fabry Live, and it's a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.